Constructing your life is about much more than just building a bank account. Each week, join real estate entrepreneur and mindset coach Austin Linney as he interviews guests who are constructing their dream lives and impacting the world around them on a daily basis. If you're an entrepreneur or wanting to start a business, or you just want to hear motivating stories of how others have overcome the odds, you are in the right place. And now for your host, Austin Linney. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast and if you're watching live, uh, we are streaming to Facebook and YouTube as usual. Uh, today I have my good Airbnb friend Austin all the way from Texas. Uh, we met, I met a lot of people in this 24-hour Airbnb marathon and um, we're, depending on when this, when you listen to this on the podcast, we might have already done the next one but uh, we are setting ourselves up for another one. So um, Austin, how are you my friend? I'm doing good, Mr. Luke. Thank you for having me on. And, and so everybody knows I'm going to be airing this on my podcast called Construct Your Life uh, for your episode as well. So this will be uh, a nice conversation that uh, everybody can share in. Dual podcasting. That's, you know, time efficiency. Yeah, I like this. I might have to steal this from you. Yeah, Yeah, I know. I think it's such a good idea because you do tend to do a lot of podcast swaps. So it, it's just easier to record one and then post it across both. But um, so briefly off air, we were talking about, I guess, the, the usual uh, lockdown COVID word. Um, how uh, you, you say, obviously, Texas doesn't really um, <laughs> live by those rules. But um, are your most of your Airbnbs in Texas? You know, uh it's interesting. We, uh, I sold one in February. Uh, I looked like uh, Nostradamus. I, I sold one uh, that I owned with my ex-father-in-law. And we um, had a lot of equity in it. And we had a good two years. And we felt the market was hot. So we, so we sold it. And uh, when COVID happened, I had a client sell three or four houses that we were managing. And I had two of my clients that had to move back into their properties. Um, so it was like a boom, boom, boom. And then we set back and we decided that we were going to focus more on large scale properties, luxury properties. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just had a client close on three pieces, three pieces of land uh, up in Montana. So a big project uh, like it's going to be a total of like four or five homes when it's all said and done. So we, we've kind of to be honest with you, it kind of caught us at a, at a great time. Um, we were about to scale up like right at like mid March. And we just said, well, maybe we're not going to, maybe we're not going to do that. Cause you may or not know, I had a previous business uh, a year before that, where we had 27 properties in seven States. So yeah. that, that was a little crazy. So, yeah. And how did you find managing cross state? You know, um, everybody told us not to do it and we told them, screw you. And we learned our lesson in a lot of ways. Um, you know, economies of scale is really where it's at. You know, um, it's very hard to find one cleaner to do one property. Um, but if you have, let's say five or six properties in one area, then I can see the need for it. So moving forward, we would only take on a project in a, in a sub market that we're not in if we can get five houses or five yeah. units. Yeah, yeah, cl- cl- like clusters of stuff. It's yeah, um, yeah we we're kind of venturing down similar sort of pathway. We are you know pushing nationwide now, and um, it's probably a bit easier because I guess the UK probably is the size of one state over there. So uh, when when we when we're talking nationally, it's probably like you just operating in Texas. But um, so. 
But uh, I obviously have my gig out in Dubai as well. So we're looking to, you know, we, we manage that from the UK. And, um, and we're going to scale that over there. Obviously, we've got people on the ground over there. And um, But, yeah, I think if you get clusters, then you can motivate a cleaner, you can get your maintenance team, and, and everything kind of just, you know, smoothly falls into place. And then you get the economies of scale on the services as well. Uh, but we are – so I've uh, – it's like – I, everyone says to me, you don't do things in halves. And I, so I've gone, always been doing like little single, you know, lets and, you know, bigger sort of four or five bed houses, refurbs, extensions, things like that. And then I thought this is the year where we kind of try and acquire some blocks of stuff mm-hmm. uh, because the blocks of flats do really well for us. So I um, went out and, you know, started searching and, um, and then I get two opportunities in a week close, you know, as, as you do. Like, yeah, I don't just want to test the water with one. And, and one of them is a monster of a project. So we're still waiting for the architect drawings, which hopefully I'll get later today. But um, one's hopefully going to be five stories and 20 flats, you know, so like a proper, proper um, job. And the uh, other one is... Or- sorry? Uh, new construction or, or previous? So this is a like this one's to, to a commercial building into a uh, into into five stories and um, and then the other one's two houses knocking that. I was hoping for seven seven or eight flats, but we're only going to get five. But I think the mix of five is going to be great. Um, so this leads me on to my sort of point of what my intention is is to then have you know, a cleaning team and a linen storage in those centers. And then they just manage those centers. That's all they take care of, you know. And then the other ones will just manage the other block. And then, you know, the clusters of stuff. We we already do that with our cleaning team where we kind of say, right, you're in charge of that cluster of properties. You're in charge of that cluster of properties. And um, I think it's it's important to to keep yourself organized and be able to, to scale because there's no point in scaling if you can't keep it all together. Well, I, I think that's that's the rub, right? Is that the the people they they're like, well, I'm going to scale, and I'm like, yeah, you're going to scale when you're ready, like when when your when your team is dialed in, and and you know, I I read something this morning. I've been studying behavioral investing because I I'm a I love psychology. Mm-hmm. He said, too many of you think you're special, and that's why you lose money. And I thought it was so great because. Ultimately, the vehicle, the cleaner, mm. the linen, and the property are the star of the show. The moment that you make yourself the star of the show is the moment you get caught out with your ego. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, cleaners go from, in this game, as you say, cleaners are probably the most important piece of the puzzle, whereas in most businesses, cleaners are probably the least important piece of the puzzle. So, you know, they, they get like a... a, a <laughs> a job promotion instantly by working with Airbnb hosts. And, um, you know, and I think they enjoy it a lot more because they go from that point of maybe feeling like they're not included in a team to being really included in a team and, you know, being relied upon and, you know, taking on responsibility. And um, and so many good people come out of that as well. And I think, they, you know, cleaning a residential home is so different to cleaning a Airbnb unit. I mean, when you are recruiting cleaners and you see this mistake all the time, when people first get into the game, they just put a job ad out, cleaner needed, you know, and your residential cleaner, well, they shouldn't be emptying your fridge, checking for hairs in your bed, cleaning your cupboards out, you know, that sort of thing. But this is what these cleaners have to do. So if they're not used to it, they just come in, do them, do that usual mop, clean, wipe, hoover, and then leave. And it's like, 
oh, they found, next guest has found some items under the bed, you know, that shouldn't be there. Or, you know, we've had a kid before find a lighter under a couch, you know, a little baby as he's crawling around. You're just like, oh, my God, like, you know. But th- this stuff happens if you don't recruit the right people. So we did a mastermind uh, on Saturday that I put on and uh, the Airbnb. I, I did the Airbnb talk because the guy I brought uh, got sick, so he couldn't show up. And I told these two guys that had new Airbnbs, I said, let me explain something to you. I don't know why they're detectives. I don't know where they got trained by the FBI, but your guest will find anything that you leave behind dude i lived in my house for two years turned it into an airbnb i would get text about stuff i didn't even know that was in the house <laughs> yeah any cash <laughs> no no cash <laughs> they, they definitely didn't text that but you know I, i'm interested because i heard a little bit about your story so how many current properties do you manage uh we've got uh over 100 now and we're scaling quite quickly so um my intention is to acquire at least 15 per month uh, this year. And also, uh, that doesn't include the Dubai gig. I want 25, 30 over there by the end of the year. So um, so we're in like full-scale mode, and I've got uh, acquisition executives actually employed in the business, just going after, you know, managed and rented business. And then I've got my deal sources in the business as well who go after like purchasing. Uh, so we're, you know, we're, we're, we're purchasing hard as well. So I, I think it's a great model that you can, build your cash flow using someone else's property, which is a huge win for them, by the way. You know, there's there's a great relationship there. It's a pure win-win. And, and, you know, I don't want people to confuse that and think, oh, well, you're just using someone else's property and they get no benefit out of it because they 100% get a benefit out of it, probably more so than you. You use the cash flow. And then if you're clever with it, you buy your own assets. And then you've got that foundation to to, to, to then fuel you. And my... My owned properties that that I run on Airbnb, they are the most profitable line in my business because the uplift from the mortgage to what we're generating as a gross revenue is huge compared to obviously a higher rent to a more, to, to the revenue that comes in. So, I mean, the rent to rent still works well. We still get great, great margins. So you're running, if I'm saying you're running like three different models of Airbnb? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so- in- are you are you le- are you leasing any and turning those or is it all managed? Yeah. So no no yeah yeah lease yeah so so we call it rent to rent. I believe you guys call it rental arbitrage. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we rent, we will straight manage, and uh, and then I obviously own my own and run them on Airbnb as well. So where did you? Uh, what model did you get started on? Uh, so I had a re- I had an owned property that I couldn't get rented. And I'd refurbed it and I'd spent far too much on it. And I was like, why is no one renting this property? It's beautiful. You know, I've just done it out. It's in city center. It's perfect location. And, um, and then I sat down with my friend and I was told, I was like, I'm really frustrated. I've had about 10, it was about seven or eight potential tenants come through this property and they just won't take it. I've had no offers. I've had nothing. And that was unusual. So he was like, oh, well, I, I do this thing called Airbnb. I was like, what's Airbnb? And he's like, he's like, told me about it. I left that coffee. I went straight to Ikea, bought a load of furniture, <laughs> put the furniture in. Uh, I think it cost me about £1,500 for furniture, put the furniture in, took a few photographs. And then, honestly, you can ask my wife this. I was like sat on the couch and it was like it, 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 the bookings just came in. As soon as I'd listened, I was like, Jesus. And then 
And then I, I hadn't even got the cleaning team or anything organized <laughs> at this point. So I um I then I then got another booking. And then over the next five days, I, I generated three and a half thousand pounds worth of bookings for this property. And I was just like, my mind was blown. And my wife was like, is this real? Like, is it a scam? Is it legit? You know? And um, and th- and then I was just hooked. You know, I was hooked. And then I had a couple more properties. So I I, I, t- I turned them straight into Airbnb units. And then I and then I fell into the rent to rent rental arbitrage model by accident because I I basically I, I noticed there was the same company coming back week after week, but they kept booking via uh, booking.com. So I rang them up and I was like, is there any chance you can book direct with me so we, I can save on the commission and I'll give you a bit of a discount? And they were like, oh, yeah. And I got talking to this lady and she was like, I was like, how long are you in the area for? And she was like, oh, like the next eight months. And there's also like, I think there's something like another 16 guys that we need to house. And I was like, and she was like, do you have accommodation? And I was just like, yeah, yeah, I've got accommodation. So I then, um, I then basically had a problem to solve. So um, she gave me the numbers, what they were willing to pay. And I just started ringing everybody. I know I was like, I need your property. They were like, why? I was like, I've got these contractors and I need to just put them in and it's it for eight months and I'll do you a deal. And, and then most of the people I was ringing were quite receptive to it. So I then, um, you know, I acquired, uh, I think it was about five properties in the next 10 days, got them quickly set up, got that, got that contract secured. And from that, I was just, I realized there was this thing called rent to rent. Uh, someone actually said to me, that's rent to rent. And I Googled it and I was like, oh yeah, that is rent to rent. And then I just, as you know, it, you know, if you do it right, it works. So I just then continued, you know, pushing that model hard. Well, what interests me about that story, besides the fact that it's absolutely amazing and something I'm learning about marketing and just kind of digital, the way the businesses are going, you had actual tangible numbers, right? Meaning like you had an actual person willing to commit to you. So you went out and filled their need. You mm. didn't just go get 16 properties and hope people booked it. So in yeah. essence, you had kind of like a sure thing. You just had to figure out a way to fix it. Yeah. I think when you speak to most people that get in this game, I think they just solved a problem, you know, and, um, you know, I had, um, uh, who was I speaking to the other day? Oh, anyway she basically needed property for her parents to um to stay whilst she had a young child but she didn't want them in the house so she thought i'll rent somewhere and i'll put it on airbnb to cover the gap days when when the parents are there she started making a fortune from the gap days so she was like oh i think i'll get another one of these you know And, and and then just kind of built on that so i think everyone kind of starts this business with solving a problem as such i think probably a bit more now people are going okay that's working for them i'll get coached by them and i'll go straight into it that way and that's fine as well you know because then you're getting into it the right way with the right help but for the ones like us who kind of just stumbled across it by accident it was more than likely because you were solving a problem you know so my initial problem was i couldn't get a property rented that was me too uh my my wife at the time was living uh in a different city and I had this apartment sitting there that was not being used during the weekends. And I just started running it out on the weekends. That's how I got started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a hundred and it was 300 square feet. It was like a little apartment in Austin. And I was like, dude, this is amazing. And then we went to the house we bought and started with an air mattress. 
and the air mattress turned into a, a full bed and then the full bed turned in the house and the house turned into three houses and that's how it happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in it, but I think the main thing that I take away from it, especially when I, you know, speak to like-minded people like yourselves and, you know, the network we've got behind the scenes in our Instagram group and, you know, just other Airbnb hosts around the world that I've connected with, especially over the last six months or so is like, everyone does so well out of it that do it properly, you know, and, and even through what was a very bumpy ride last year, everybody seems to have adapted, figured it out, found another way to bring money into the properties and still make them work. And, um, and there's been some ones that have sort of said, okay, I've actually realized that model doesn't quite work. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to offload a bit of that, but I'll get a bit more of that, you know, and, um, and they've kind of stuck with it. And I think, I think those that are still in the game right now are going to really see some rewards from it over the next few years. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that to, 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 to hammer it on that point on an overall life scale. Don't you think that's in life in general? If you stick with something, there's always going to be peaks or valleys health wise. You know, I didn't lose 65 pounds in a week. I lost it in two years. Like I didn't, mm. I, you know, I didn't get sober from alcohol after 20 years in one day, I did it, you know, two years counting now. You have to understand, I study a lot uh, of the stoic philosophy and kind of, you know, that that neutral thinking. And it, ultimately, like, if you have an idea and it works, just because the market shifts doesn't mean that idea is no longer good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the saying goes, you only, uh, you only fail when you quit, right? So you just keep plugging away at it bit by bit. And, um, but yeah, I think it's, you know, everyone sees the, you know, the the successful posts and, you know, the uh, the wins. And I do sometimes, you know, share my my uh, disappointments as well. You know, there's, there's no doubt that we do get bad reviews at times. And, you know, we haven't lived up to the expectations of some guests or even lived up to the expectations of some staff or, or you know, and, and there's been shortfalls. And I think you've got to accept that. But I think what people don't see is, the work that does go on behind the scenes to keep these businesses moving. And I think that is probably the, that's the secret really. You know, I think, you know, that is the secret. It's, it's not just about getting the property, setting it up and taking a few photos. It's like how you run it as a business behind the scenes. And, and I think anybody that wants to work closely with you, I think that's kind of what they're investing in. And, and, and that's, that's the game changer for me is, you know, what are the, what are the moving parts behind the scenes that, you know, keep the business scaling, keep the business efficient, keep the business organized and, you know, and, and reduce all the time efficiency. I'm a massive fan now about like, I hate wasting time. You know, I just, uh, it really bothers me. Like if people send me like crap emails that just don't need to be in my inbox and it just takes me even 10 seconds to open it and delete it. That really bothers me. You know, it's a total waste of my time. Um, and I get really precious over time now. But the more I think you think about things like that, the more efficient you make your business so that it gives you that more time back. Um, and, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, probably since I actually connected with Julie and uh, when I had a conversation with her about her business and how she built it and sold it. And it makes total sense. Like if you want to build a business to sell, you have to work yourself out of the business because you cannot, you know, people buy, people don't buy the person at the top of the business people buy the business and the systems that run the business. 
So if you've got a business that ticks without you, you've got a, a much more valuable asset than if you've got a business that depends on you all the time. And by just going that way, you also just create a better business with that mindset. Um, a lot of people, though, go, oh, well, you're not working very hard today because you're not putting like 10 hours in a day. It's like, I don't need to put 10 hours in a day to, to like get efficiency out of my business. You know, I can do two focused hours and my business will probably move a lot more than most other businesses, you know, that are dependent on the CEO making every single decision in every single department. And um, so I, that's really got me thinking over the last few months and kind of how I'm starting to build it out even more now for, you know, for the future. Dude, it's like it's like you're in my head. This couldn't come at a better time. I just finished a book yesterday and I'm about to finish another book. The book is amazing. It's called uh, Built to Sell. And he goes through this whole thing. Uh, and then a book called Clockwork. I've read Clockwork's one of my favorite books. Uh, it, it is, I realize that personal vanity of wanting to be the star of the show is the reason that you are trapped in your business. Your product, your asset, your property is the star of the show. And the moment that you can empower the people around you to make the decisions and make that the star is the moment your company becomes 10 times more valuable. Just like you said, systems sell, you don't. Yeah, 100%. Well, I used to, like, so I, I was the queen bee role, right? I was, so my, my core role is acquiring property for cash flow. That's the core business. That's the queen bee role in my business. And then anyone that's listened to our red clockwork will understand what we're talking about here. And, um, and then... And then I realized I don't have to be the queen bee to make this business powerful. So I moved out of that role and put effectively my brother's in the queen bee role right now. And he's, he's the one out there acquiring and bringing the property in for cash flow. I've then got a couple of other people in the business who are deal sourcing and bringing the business in, you know, and they're protected. They don't get involved in operations. You know, we try and keep them protected. So they are just focused on bringing more properties to the table because the more properties we bring, the more cash flow we can bring in. Um, I then just sit outside now and just design the business, build the brand, you know, build the relationships and tend to deal a lot with the finance and funding, um, you know, but I, I quickly realized after reading clockwork, how I needed to systemize the business and have these people in their zone of geniuses, no overlap and everybody just focuses on their core role and then nothing else distracts them from that core role. And whilst I might have more staff because of that, each of those staff generate money into the business. So they actually self-fund themselves. So, you know, sometimes they're like, I actually had a guy in my Instagram not so long ago. He's like, oh, we'll, we'll run your business. How many staff do you have? I see there's a question on here about um, how many staff I actually have. But, um, you know, I was like, oh, I've got about 35 all in all. And he's like, oh, I could run your business on three staff. You know, you're so inefficient. And I'm like, you don't know my business. How do you know it's inefficient? Like, how do you not know that every single one of those 35 aren't bringing in a hundred grand each a year? Like, you just don't know that. So, um, it's, it's funny that you say that there's a guy here in Austin. His name is David Osborne. Uh, he has, uh, 88 revenue streams. They buy, (laughs) they buy 200 houses at a time. He's, he's worth a couple hundred million. He, when they interview somebody for his business, he interviews them for two months and he says, because I'm hiring that person to make me a million dollars. If I'm not hiring yeah. to make me a million dollars, then what am I doing? Not in. Yeah. I'm going to see if, um, but I haven't read Built to Sell, so I'm just going to see if it's on Blinkist. Oh, yeah, it is. There yeah. we go. Yeah. He has awesome. got a couple great books. Yeah. Because we're, I, I'm getting in a consulting role with a couple businesses, and we're starting it from day one as 
how do we walk how do we fire ourselves and then how do we sell this in a couple years like that's mm. you know because like my thing i'm a i'm a i'm a person like i like to build things so i want to get into something and the reason that i had to lose money in my first airbnb business is because i lied about the role that i actually wanted and then i was so far out on the edge of the tree that I was lying to myself even more and I was a fraud. And then the moment that I released that and just lost the money was the moment that I truly had self-awareness to realize this is exactly what I'm good at. Leverage out the people around me to support the things that I'm not great at. And it allows me to be me, which then in turn allows me to be the best version of myself. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I actually read, um, I read clock. Well, listen, I listened to clockwork whilst I was running an, ult- an ultra marathon. So it was like, like five hours of Mike, I can't say his surname, Sarkowski or whatever he's called, just in, in five hours of him just whilst I'm running in like minus four with 40 mile an hour winds up a beach, feeling so sorry for myself. But uh, it just kept like, but whilst I was running, I just kept like thinking, right, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. And um, I think if it wasn't cold enough, I probably would have started doing notes on my phone, but I couldn't even feel my fingertips, so that wasn't going to work. But um, yeah, I've listened to that book several times. And um, it is a game changer. Like it, it, it is a game changer. But you've got to be able to, like anything, implement it and take the action. And and that that's I think investing in staff is a bigger leap than most people are willing to take because most people go into the sort of scarcity mode of, oh well, I can't really afford to pay myself. So how can I afford to pay somebody else? And it's like, well. If you're going to just have them as an employee that you know you don't put time and effort into, and therefore they don't bring anything into your business, then yes, there will be an expense. But if you put the time and effort into them and actually make sure that if you're paying them two grand, they're bringing in four grand, then that's that's an investment, and and that is 100 how you build businesses. And then ultimately, if you look at society, right? You know, I'm not 100 clear on the the younger generation in in your area, but all they want to do is learn and grow. And so if you're cultivating the learning and the growing and you take time out of your day to check in with them besides the business, you know, how are you doing? Do you, are we are we communicating properly? Do you, do you have everything that you need instead of just saying, oh, you don't understand, which I think a lot of people do from a business owner side and saying no, because for me, I live by extreme ownership. If If something went wrong in the business, it's because I didn't properly communicate how I wanted it to be. And guess what? It's scary because there's a lot of ideas going on up here. And so I had to learn to slow down and really frame out exactly what I want and make sure that whether it's a video or a screen share, showing them exactly what I want instead of just hoping they understand what they want because they're not in my head. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, and, and everyone is like, we've got one, there's a few things I wish I'd done a lot earlier in my business, but one thing is kind of documenting and systemizing everything on a video or a google sheet is like so powerful and it's so easy like you can get a loom account now for like whatever 15 dollars a month 10 pound a month whatever it is and you can shoot loom videos for every little task in your business put a title on it and store it in a folder and then you just give your team access to that so like how do i set up a new channel manager there's the videos i don't need to sit beside you and teach you how to do it you know how do i set up an invoice there's the video you know it's like so easy I tell you what we've been doing. I just did it a couple the first time. So for clients like that we're managing, me and my assistant will go on a Zoom call and record the spreadsheet with the listing and our thoughts for the area. So that busy client 
doesn't have to wait and we don't have to try to schedule a meeting. He can listen to it on his own time with the details opposed to just looking at a spreadsheet. It's been a game changer. Yeah. I, I use Loom all the time. Just shoot Loom videos to people all the time. Like, how do I do this? I'll, right, I'll just I'll just quickly shoot you a Loom. And as you say, they can watch it when they're good and ready rather than like, should we get a Zoom call scheduled in? What's your diary like? What's my diary like? Da-da-da. You know, just shoot the Loom video, send it over, and then they'll ask the questions if they've still got some. Um, you can use technology now for so many different things. And um, I think especially in the, you know, even in the Airbnb space, it's like, uh, so teaching a cleaner how to clean a property or how to check a property or how to use the app or whatever it might be. And you can keep an eye on them as well. Like we can manage remotely because we've got an app where the cleaners have to go through, I think it's 98 or 96 tasks. They have to take photographs of about 17 different items Mm -hmm. and they've got to log maintenance issues. And then from that information, we can check they've done a good job. We can, you know, file any guest damages. We can then send any maintenance crew around. We don't have to be going near these properties. Well, isn't, isn't that what he talks about in clockwork is having a metrics dashboard and that's what mm. people don't understand. How are you managing a property in Montana when you live in Texas? It's five states away. Because I have a checklist that needs to be checked with pictures. And if it's, I can look back at the end of Sunday. And if those things weren't wrong and you attach that to the, to the guest reviews, you can see mm. everything. I don't need to see a picture or touch the property. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, <laughs> I see properties now. I don't go. So I made... I made a decision quite a while ago. The only time I'll go near a property now is more than likely to do some sort of production or social media type stuff. Um, but my my hard and fast rule is like quite a while ago, I was like, whenever I sign a property off as done, then I never want to go back to that property because I don't need to go back to that property. You know, that 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 should then go into the operations department and then they look after that property going forward. There's no need for the owner to be going back to the properties for any reason, really, like absolutely no reason at all. So don't you think in a different way, and maybe I'm just off base here, but that also removes yourself of attachment to anything that goes on there. So you're not creating bandwidth in your head about it. Like you've, you've signed off on it. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing worse than, you know, spending 30 grand on a refurb and then seeing a guest come in first day and, and, and turn it over. But, um, we had one of those recently. We finished one just before New Year's Eve and New Year's Eve, obviously, they snuck in and, uh, you know, cigarette burns on the carpet and all it ripped up the bathroom floor. And, you know, it's just like, you know, but yeah, it totally, for me, it's, a, it's all a numbers game. And I think this is why people also get into the wrong, especially rental arbitrage, rent to rent deals at the beginning is because they've got this emotional attachment to, oh, it looks great. I'm going to host and I'm going to make it beautiful and I'm going to overspend for sure. We've all done it on our first few properties, um, you know, and uh, the, every guest is going to be like a dream. And, and oh, then, they're going to, uh, they're going <laughs> to, they're going to, they're going to come in. The doves are going to fly out. <laughs> You're the best person in the world. Dude, the guy told me, I sent him my financial refurbish, like my financial breakdown of per house. And he was like, yeah, we overspent by like 12 grand on your calculations. I'm like, <laughs> I think my first, I think my first ever guest, I think I left a bottle of champagne and some chocolates. It's like, like <laughs> what? <laughs> but you know, Hey, you live and learn, don't you? So, um, but yeah. And, and, and you, you end up so emotionally invested in it that you go, okay, I'll pay an extra few hundred or 500 pounds a month rent. than I should be. And then you can't get bookings. You're not making any money. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, so 
But when you actually just invest based on numbers, typically on a spreadsheet for me, it's like, does this work? Yes or no? You know, that, that's it. Similar. It doesn't matter what the property looks like. Money in, money out. Does it work? Yes or no? If it says yes, right, we'll engage. If it says no, we move on to the next one and find a different property. Well, isn't that the most important thing? I find it to be the answer I answer the most. And I'm curious uh, by your property standards. People always ask me, well, shouldn't I do this type of home because it's going to make more money? But I've had a I've had a 2-1 that sleeps six, that's 800 square feet, that's outperformed five bedrooms. Don't you see the same thing in your business? Really, it's all about the numbers? Yeah. And I, I get this question all the time. Like, what's the best property? It's like... There's so many like variables in terms of like you could have a three bed property and you could have three double beds and a sofa bed, or you could have six single beds and a sofa bed, or you could have two doubles in a twin room. Like there's so many combinations that you could put together from the rooms. What works the best? I don't know in, in total honesty. All I know is that, you know, there's a certain rent you kind of do your comparisons based on what's hanging around in terms of nightly rates and then does it drive in? You then, what I then tend to do is um, I uh, I go and guest review. So I actually had a client last night that I found a property. I think it's great. Should we put this in? Should we put that in? Should we do this? Should we do that? I was like, listen, it looks okay on the pictures. Just start start off as it is, right? Your guests will tell you what's not there or what is there, you know? Yeah. So I did this at the beginning. Like, I don't put wardrobes in any of my properties. Total waste of money. You know, we don't need them. We just put a nice seven-pound little thing on the wall that pulls out and pushes back in and has some coat hangers on. Saves me, like, £150 a room, you know? If guests started saying, oh, there's no wardrobes, there's no wardrobes, there's no wardrobes, then we'd put wardrobes in, you know? I started taking washing machines out of our places. And then I was like, do we get any complaints and not having washing machines? No. Okay. Well, why spend three, 400 pounds on a washing machine? Because they're not even using them, you know, and you're, you're spot on. We, every item that you put in that property creates another way for them to complain. The less <laughs> is better. Right. I was the same with like sugar and things like that. Like, oh, someone else has dipped a teaspoon in the sugar. Okay, right. So we'll get sugar sh- sugar sachets rather than a big box of sugar. You know, we used to put all sorts in the beginning, cookies and chocolates and yeah, just like, but, um, but then I guess it, it also comes down to, you know, uh, yourself going into the luxury market. And, you know, I know we have Bill, you know, who obviously does incredibly well from his high, high end sort of stuff. I'd imagine they need to put kind of hampers and things like that in, you know, because that's his market. And those guys are paying 25, 30 grand a week, sometimes even more. Chris down in Cannes looking after all these celebs. Like, I'm sure he needs to put wardrobes in there and a few bits and bobs when they're paying like 100 grand a week for these places. So it's, it's, it, you've got to understand the avatar is the key, the key to it all. Like, who are you trying to attract? And then from that, does the property fit that, that avatar that you're going after? You know, and if that's a mismatch, then it's never going to work. 100%. If you had somebody that's thinking about getting it or is a new Airbnb, what do you think on on a scale, just one or two things that they need to be worried about the most? Should they buy? Should they? I mean, it's all related to the person. But, you know, what is your general answer when you when people are asking you how to get into Airbnb? Yeah, so I think for the majority of people, um, especially over here in the UK as a landlord, you need 25% down plus taxes plus, you know, everything else that goes with it. So for a lot of people, that's not accessible and that, and that prevents, you know, a lot of people getting in the market. Whereas with rents, 
like I think the cheapest rent I've ever done is four hundred pounds. I think I had to buy a smart TV and some duvets, and the rest of it was pretty much there. So um, you know, you can get into the rental game very cheap. What I advise, so if say someone came to me and said, I've got sixty thousand, what should I do with it? I would say probably put ten or fifteen thousand aside for your rent to rent business and get that going. So that moves quick and you can pick up a lot of units very quick and then put the other part of it into maybe buying an asset and then turning that money through assets over time. Because buying an asset is a lot slower process. You know, by the time you've seen it, viewed it, made an offer, got it agreed, got it all through compliance, and then you refinance it on the back end after refurb, it could be like six to six to seven, seven months, you know, and that's for one unit. Well, in seven, in six to seven months, we could acquire 60, 70 units on a, on a different strategy, you know? Yeah. So it's like, but I think it's great to have, I think it's good to have both. I mean, I think um, no doubt you can build these management businesses up and then sell them. And that can be your, your, your way to get your meal ticket. Or you can obviously use the cash flow to buy your own assets. And then ultimately you've, you've got that pool of money sat in a property working for you for life. So I think it's good to have a balance of both in all honesty. But I would definitely recommend if you want to get started quick, the rent to rent route uh, or potentially management le- lease options, that sort of stuff. What is the hardest part about managing properties for other people? Um, so we, we, I, I feel like we do a really good job because we don't actually hear from the owners that much. And I think that's a good sign. Um, I have sacked an owner before because uh, she tried, so basically she came to us for help. She had two properties and then she started telling us how we had to order the, the order of the pictures had to be online, the name of the listing. Um, and then she kept going into the property and checking on it and being like the coaster wasn't put back in the right place or this or that and the other. And it was like, I'd understand it if she'd given us a portfolio of like 200 properties and, you know, there was a huge financial implication, but for two properties, it was kind of like, you've kind of entrusted us because we're the experts, but it seems like you can't release that control. And I get that because she was emotionally attached to these properties. It was the only two own properties that she, she had. And, but eventually enough was enough. And it was like the amount of time we're spending on you versus the reward we're getting back. Unfortunately, it's not a good match for the business. So we're going to, you know, have to terminate your contract and give you the properties back. And, um, but the, the rest of them are, you know, we send them the statements. If they ask us the information, we'll give them it. They've got visibility. And they, you know, as I said, we, we seem to do a good job for people. So they don't tend to ask for them back or, or seem to be picking our brains too much. You know, they just get paid each month and, and everyone seems happy, which, you know, I think is a good thing. The number one lesson I've had to teach myself in our business is, you know, we had a guy that would refresh the bookings every hour and text us. Like, and then I got him a $7,000 booking for like 18 days and I charged exactly. like 500 bucks for the dog fee because she had two dogs. She didn't care. And then the dog like peed on a rug. That was it. And he like lost his mind. And I'm like, you do understand that you just made like 7,800 bucks in like three weeks. Right. And we, we sacked him. Like, mm. it's just not worth it. Like, I don't give a crap how much money that property is making. You're, you are taking up more of my time. And then you have clients who don't even know what's going on. Well, they prefer to not even go what's on. They get a check in their bank account and everything's good. Yeah, well, it's the same. I used to be in the financial advising game. So someone who would maybe invest like 10000 into a stock, 
like if it goes down like 5%, they're on the phone. They're like, oh my God, it's gone up 5%. What are you going to do about it? And then the guys who've got like 10 million invested, they, you never hear from them. Like if the, the stocks could tank 20%. They're just like, yeah, whatever. You know, and some might say, oh, well, it's because they've got loads of money in the bank and the other person hasn't. But there's probably a reason why they've got loads of money in the bank. And that's because they're not focusing, you know, all their energy into micromanaging their assets, you know, or micromanaging their money. You know, don't, don't employ somebody else to do it if you want to micromanage it. And that goes to the same, same with, with your team when you're building your team. Like, don't, don't invest in somebody to come on your team if you then just micromanage them so much that they're not able to flourish and bring their own part to the business, you know, because that, that's so ineffective. And you're also like, I, I champion ideas within my team because I, I never want to be the guy that, that stifles their creativity because then what's the point? Why, why are they even working there? Now, now we might not take the idea, but, but I love contrary thinking. Like my mind is in the clouds, their minds in reality. Like, you know, mm. so you have to have that mix of yin and yang. And I think it's very powerful. Yeah. 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 So anyway, um, I don't want to keep you too much longer because yeah. uh, I think we've had an awesome chat, but, um, you know, what's, I think next, what's, so what's on the horizon for you in the next few months of 2021? So we are, I have had this dream and, and COVID kind of put a pause and into it. Uh, but it's starting to get kicked back up again. I have a dream of building my own Airbnbs. It is uh, something, um, I love land. I love nature. I just bought a piece of property in Colorado. Uh, we are working with some structures and uh, I want to start building my own luxury Airbnbs in the mountains or by a river or lake. That's, that's the goal is to get the first one started this summer. I'll be your first guest. I yeah. love skiing. I Dude, love skiing. <laughs> I, it's the uh, the one I the one I bought in Colorado is only a half acre, but I bought it on owner finance for a hundred bucks a month, and uh, I'm a, it, 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 the taxes on the property are fifty dollars <laughs> for the year for the year, and I only it only takes me thirteen hundred bucks to carry it for the year. So my goal is to put two structures with solar power on it. It's next to the best fishing in Colorado. And, um, and, and I think I'm going to smash it out of the park. So that's the goal yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah, no, I think, um, I think there's definitely, that's when kind of, I think the emotional side comes in a bit. Like I'm doing that with Dubai a bit at the minute. I'm like, I used to live there. I love the place. I'd like to go back a lot more. So I'll tell you what, I'll just set a business up out there and then, and then I can travel. Uh, I've got the same kind of gig with like, you know, skiing in the mountains. I'd like to eventually have a chalet out there so you can then use it as Airbnb when you're not there, but then. And then the same kind of down in, in Portugal as well. So you just, they're kind of emotional investments, but at the same time that they, they should work as, as um, because you've already got the systems and processes, so you know it works. So um, that's, that's yeah. So that, so to add on to that, my, my number one reason for getting in this business, number one was to do international Airbnbs. I, my goal is to have one in Italy one in the Greek Isles, Costa Rica, and South America. Um, I love to travel. I went to Europe on a one-way trip uh, two years ago. Um, I might be in Italy this summer. So for me, if I could have an asset that I can own, but visit when I want to for a month or two at a time, because my business is from my laptop, yeah. that is the long-term goal for me for sure. Yeah, no, I, I think I, uh, I totally resonate with that. And I'm, I'm the same. Like, I'll not, I will not engage with a software company unless they have an app on the phone. Because if I can't run it from a phone, it's no good. You know, and I think everyone's got to be designing their businesses like that these days, especially if you've got a product where you can literally run it from a phone. So, um, 
Awesome. All right. Well, I've seen the comments that are coming through. There's plenty of likes and stuff as well. So everyone's loving this. Uh, if you are listening on the podcast, please don't forget to leave a review. And uh, how can everyone hit you up? How can they connect with you? Uh, so Austin Linney on Instagram, I answer all my DMs, uh, Facebook, same thing. Uh, the name of the podcast that you're going to be on is called construct your life podcast, how to build a lifestyle, not a bank account. Sounds uh, good. check us out. And then Ryan, so my listeners can follow you. How do they find you? Yeah. So, uh, most of my stuff is, um, official Ryan Luke. Uh, I've got the Airbnb, the Airbnb formula, Facebook group. And uh, YouTube channel as well is the same. So, um, but we're everywhere, right? This so, is just this is efficient as hell. I might <laughs> take this. I might take this, dude. This is nice. Just steal it. Steal yeah. the concept. It's fine. <laughs> you can have it. There's no patent on it. <laughs> so, uh, listen, buddy, that's been absolutely awesome. And I know we're going to connect soon on Clubhouse with the 24-hour room. So, everyone that's listening, keep keep an eye out on that as well. And if you're not on Clubhouse, I might actually have a few spare invites if you want to ping me a message. Um, you've got to be on iPhone, but uh, yeah, ping me a message. Thank you very much. Cheers, Austin. Cheers, bud. See ya. Thank you for listening to Construct Your Life with Austin Lenny. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to start constructing your life by taking immediate action on what you learn. For show notes, resources, and more information on one-on-one coaching with Austin, visit constructyourlifepodcast.com.